The Māori King, Kingi Tuhaitia, is calling for a national hui for unity next month in a bid to bring together the many voices of Māori. The announcement comes only a day after thousands of people turned out at protests across the country against some of the new government's policies and rhetoric. The national hui will be held at Turanga Waiwai Marae on January the 20th. Well, joining us now is Labour Party leader Chris Hipkins. Kia ora, good morning. Good morning. Do you welcome this hui? Is this something you'd want to be a part of? Well, look, certainly I haven't seen the invitation yet, but the idea of getting together and um, you know, trying to find unity is something that we should aspire to. I think over my lifetime, over the last four or five decades, New Zealand's worked hard to try and reconcile past um, grievances that Māori have legitimately held. We've tried to move forward as a country. That's happened under successive Labour and national governments. Um, and I think what's disappointing is that for the first time in a generation, we're actually seeing a government who want to wind back some of that progress. So I think getting together to talk about that is would be a positive thing. Mm. They argue that they are focused on delivering economic outcomes for Māori and non-Māori and they need some time. They're only a week into the, the job. Is that not reasonable? Well, I mean, I think if you look at the coalition agreements that they've signed up to, they take things backwards. I mean, their effective Te Reo Māori ban um, is, is, really a, um, is really a backward step. I mean, Te Reo Māori is an official language of New Zealand. It's one that successive Sorry, governments where's the ban? invested in. So it's a successive governments have invested in. You're now looking at Nicola Willis saying that she's going to stop funding for Te Reo Māori speakers. Um, you know, I think mm. that... So, sorry, where's backwards. the ban on Te Reo? Well, they're basically saying that government departments shouldn't be using it, and I don't think that's right. Where are they saying that? Well, if you, if you look at the MFAT, for example, they, put, they issued a memo in the transition period saying that people should stop using Te Reo Māori. You know, ministers have, have been indicating to government departments that they don't want to see Te Reo Māori in their documentation. I think that's wrong. Well, they have legal obligations, as you'll be aware, under the 2016 uh, Māori Language Act to obviously be able to communicate in Te Reo to Māori. That presumably isn't going to stop. I mean, I don't see as what you're saying as a ban. Well, they have to have the capability to be able to do that. And you saw Nicola Willis yesterday saying that she wants to effectively take that away. So one of the things that, again, successive governments have done since that 2016 Act is invest in the capability of government departments to have today our Māori speakers. The, national, the incoming national you know, administration are indicating that they want to take that, take it away, the financial support for that. Um, I think that's a real backward step. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate what you're saying, and Nicola Willis um, hasn't come on the programme to respond to that, and we've obviously run that story concerning allowances. But again... Is it helpful to say that there is a ban of te reo? Oh, I mean, look, you know, you can use whatever language you want. They're certainly discouraging the use of te reo Māori, and I think that's a backward step. No, but a ban is different, isn't it, than discouraging the use? Well, it was a rhetorical device. Okay. I mean, the issue here is, isn't it, is that we are at a period where there is obviously a lot of uh, division and there is concerns all over the country, we do have to be careful with our rhetoric, don't we? And there is obviously criticism, for example, at the Māori Party for its use of muskets in its imagery. I mean, do you have any concerns about that? Well, it's really a question for the Māori Party. I mean, I absolutely support the right to protest and the right to free speech. How people exercise that is, is a question for them to defend. You know, I supported the right to, for farmers, for example, to protest against the previous government. I didn't agree with them. I didn't like the message that they had, but they had a right to do that. And Māori have a right to protest against the current government. The oaths, do you see anybody in the Labour Party objecting to the technicality of the oath 
that, or the language of the oath that was used by the Māori Party members yesterday, which wasn't technically to the letter of what was written, and that is required in law. Do you have any objection? Do you, any your MPs likely to object and, and, and ask them to redo it? Well, it's ultimately really a question for the clerk. I'm, I, I'm not affluent today, I'm already speaking myself. I, it's something I'm working on, but um, I'm, I certainly wasn't in a position to judge whether or not they were, you know, word for word following the, the oath in today, Māori as, as required. I think, I think the fact that increasing numbers of um, people were taking the oath in today, Māori, including a number of Pākehā members of Parliament on both sides of the House, that's something that's really positive, and I, you know, encourage people to do that. I, I haven't had the confidence to do that myself one day. Hopefully, I'll be in a position to be able to do that. But um, but ultimately, if people didn't follow the you know prescribed format for that, then that's really a, a question for the clerk of the house. But it would take an MP, my understanding, to object, right? I mean, you're not in the sense that there are any Labour MPs out there demanding that they redo it. Um, certainly, that didn't happen at the time. I mean, ultimately, the clerk has to determine whether someone has. Um, has actually taken the oath or not, and if they have a concern that they haven't appropriately taken the oath, then they may have to do it again. But that's not a that's not a determination for us. That's a determination for the clerk and now ultimately the speaker. Would you want to see that oath redone? I mean, is it time to have another look at that swearing allegiance to oh. the king? Well, I mean, the king is the current head of state, so effectively you're swearing allegiance to to the New Zealand head of state. Whether or not people want the king to be the head of state, uh, or whether they want to have a New Zealand head of state, that's that's a you know legitimate question. So far, New Zealanders haven't really set, had a, expressed an appetite to move away from having the monarchy as our head of state, but. Um, you know, I'm on record as saying that I think that's something that should happen in time. If, if that's what Kiwis want, then that's what Kiwis should get. Just finally on the issue of the government's books and the prefu, uh, then you'll obviously be aware that Nicola Willis has, well, alleged that you, whilst you have perhaps stuck to the letter of the law with the opening of the books at the before the election, the spirits of the law perhaps might have been pushed a little bit by you're not... Uh, grouping together the amount of short-term funding initiatives that are, that are in the budget. Should you have done that to make it clearer what was not going to be funded beyond a couple of years? Well, I mean, if Nicola Willis doesn't have the concentration span to read the budget documents from one end to the other and wants someone to give her a nice little summary for it, that's, that's probably really a more of an issue for her and to work on um, because actually as Minister of Finance, she would need to read a number of big, thick documents and she'll need to read them and understand them. Um, the reality is all of the uh, complaints that she's raising are all contained in the pre-election fiscal update. It's all there. Anyone could see it. It's available for the public. This is ultimately a distraction by Nicola Willis because she can't make her numbers mm. add up. Well, tell me this. Is the... That her plans are unaffordable. Now she knows they're unaffordable and she's trying to blame anyone but herself. It, it... Look, contingent liabilities are always in the budget that they pointed out as potential risks to the government. But, I mean, people are talking about the, 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 the Cook Strait ferries blowing out by hundreds of million. Uh, we don't know yet. Maybe not. But we're hearing yesterday that Wellington Transport needs a billion dollars for its rail networks. There are going to be some big budget problems there, aren't there? Did you leave... Some some nasty surprises for this government. 
No, absolute rubbish. Look, the cost escalations are a, are a fact, and they always have been. When we became the government in 2017, we inherited a number of projects from the last government. Transmission Gully springs to mind, and we had to put extra money in to get those projects finished because the costs had gone up. That is the nature of the, the economic situation we're in at the moment, and we've had high inflation, high wage growth. So the prices of some things will be going up. We had provisioned as a Labour team within our plan for cost escalations for projects. We said at the time during the campaign, one of the reasons National's plans were unaffordable was that they haven't provisioned enough for cost escalation. The fact that Nicola Willis has now come around to the realisation that actually she got it wrong doesn't mean that she can then blame the outgoing government when we were saying during the election campaign that their numbers didn't add up. They don't add up now. Chris Hipkins, Labour Party leader, thank you very much for your time this morning.